0: All right, let me, let me ask you guys a question. What, what happens between the end of college football season and the national championship? Christmas. A lot of shit talking. So <laughs> so I'm Trophy. not only am I on these, all these techs and chains, we're following, there's a lot of energy news to talk about, we are gonna talk about it. But first, I am on, I just put my head down. I've got 50 tweets going between two guys. One guy's a, a Longhorn. Another guy was a varsity player at Kansas, and he was throwing shade at Quinn Ewers, which, you know, Quinn, UT quarterback. But it's hilarious what has gone down is this debate has been brewing over OSU's quarterback who is into the transfer portal. And there's this debate, like, who's a better quarterback? If you guys don't know, it's Colin McCord versus Quinn Ewers. It's great. I love when... We have nothing else to do, and we talk energy, and we talk college football, and it's all about guys that sit on couches, and we complain, and we talk shit about guys that are playing in the real field. that's well, kind of crazy. But
1: the biggest sports news of the weekend in this fun period for you was what? I don't know. Otani signing $700 million contract with oh, the I Dodgers. Oh. Did she
0: tweet about this? Uh, no, Otani, that's great. No, what I tweeted was because um, I lost in a playoff to Casey Clemens, but- Roger Clemens uh, retweets a video of his son striking Otani out with a 49-mile-an-hour fastball. It was hilarious. They have these
1: alerts. You know, when <laughs> games get out of hand and position player pitching. Yeah. He was a position player pitching, and he he rung him up. 49, 49 or 94?
0: Slow, no, 49. I think he just, oh. like, threw a – It was a I, slow curveball.
1: Yeah. And okay. just dotted the outside of the plate, and he got rung up. So, it was <laughs> – Pretty funny. All right, we a lot of news, boys.
2: Yeah, we had some <clears> big <throat> news today. You know, it's funny because we had our PR public announcement of Digital Wildcatters two and a half million dollar raise, and I had this planned out for a couple of weeks and then saw the Oxy news and I was like, God damn it, Oxy's still on my thunder here. So, Mark, what happened with Oxy?
1: Well, the um <laughs> the long awaited announcement, I guess, came out. Oxy announced this morning that they were buying Crown Rock, a Midland Basin private producer, which is part of the Lime Rock Partners portfolio for enterprise value of 12 billion, it's a billion two in debt, um, 10.8 in equity. Um, On top of that, there's gonna be, or in the equity component, there's going to be an additional raise of, um, I think 1.7 billion of that, and so 9.1 billion of cash plus cash from proceeds from an equity issuance, so um, no. Let me back up. Nine point one billion in cash, and then there there's an equity component of one point seven billion that makes up the equity, and then one point two billion assumption of debt. Uh, so it puts it right at twelve billion, which I think is on the more robust or richer side of what was expected. I remember. I don't want to put words in his mouth. I remember Dan Pickering tweeting about when the rumors were out that the talk was somewhere in the 12 to $13 billion range that they better have a good explanation for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so at the very top of the announcement talks about the immediate and um, significant accretion of free cash flow on the order of 25%, a billion dollars, in year one and it looks like the operative price deck is somewhere between 65 and 75. i listened to a bit of the intro to the call this morning uh, but got sidetracked on yeah but what about the synergies <laughs> it's always <laughs> it's always <laughs> about synergies. vicky <laughs> did say we welcome all uh qualifying crown rock employees to the oxy to the oxy organization
2: i want to give a shout out to aubrey k my good friend aubrey k over on twitter because November 29th. Oh, Kirk's over here throwing up, the, throwing up the horns for you. So we'll put up the tweet. Um, we'll put up the tweet, but some journalists said tweeted another scoop hitting Wall Street Journal. Occidental Petroleum is in talks to buy closely held Permian producer Crown Rock. That was back on November 29th. And um, actually, I think Aubrey might have done this before that, but he retweeted it, said the plane don't lie, and was tracking Oxy's plane flying up to Omaha, Nebraska. To old warren buffett and so uh aubrey always likes to joke that he uses his land man skills hunting people down dude uh, he did i mean and he, he posted that yeah and so mean, shout out to aubrey november uh, 29th kind of crazy man you'd be getting all this good so
1: oil m and so crown rock has been around in the lime rock portfolio for i think an unconventionally long period of time uh 2007 is the genesis of Crown Rock. I think Lime Rock has been unique over the course of its ownership and this is in consultation with our traveling partner Chuck who is our resident private equity landscape and relationship expert but you know over the course of time they've done some very creative things to um Are we just not recording with Chuck for a month? I just
2: realized that. No, we're not. I mean, we've kind of said like Chuck. Could, we could definitely we, call in if you wanted to, but we're just not doing it.
0: I mean, let's be <laughs> well, honest. I, have that, I know it, the rumors it, are going to hit. It, we, we asked Chuck to take a break. We might welcome him back, but right now Chuck is needs it, it, to take a break. He, he went off to Europe.
2: Hey, real quick. I know you're like on a really important point, but I didn't give Aubrey his full props because he actually posted it November 2nd. Dude, Aubrey K is,
0: uh, he's one of my a month, favorite. A month guys. and a
2: half ago. And he said, smells like an Oxy acquisition and it shows plane traveling between Houston, <laughs> Omaha, and Midland. <laughs> <laughs> he posted that a month and a half ago. <laughs> we need to get him on the show, bro. We do.
0: I no pun intended. That's he comes the, by here. That's the month.
1: preferred route if you remember the Anadarko transaction and the big preferred way. You got to kiss the yeah. ring
0: in Omaha, right? So,
1: <clears throat> you know, I, I think <clears throat> I think the unique profile and and timeline of of Lime Rock's ownership of Crown Rock and the ability Mm -hmm. for them over time to do creative things, to provide liquidity along the way to their LP speaks um, really to the company building aspect of the Crown Rock story, which is, I think, increasingly unique in the world of upstream private equity. I mean, think back to 2007, we've been through a lot, a couple of times since then. And so you know, credit to those
0: guys for getting this deal done and a lot of cash. I mean, I, we, I want to unpack this a little bit. But first of all, thank you, David Blackman. He, he's. I follow him on Substack. He, he always is writing great stuff. But he posted a letter from Andrew Dittmar, Senior Vice President at Inveris Intelligence, who wrote, because you said earlier, like, you better have some justification when you're paying $50,000 an acre. And quote, this is from the letter. Another motivator driving this latest wave of deals from the buyer's perspective is a sense of urgency to secure shares of what is perceived to be the last tranche of the Permian region's highest quality drilling prospects. Quote, EIR calculates there is only about six years of the highest quality inventory capable of generating a 10% return at a $45 oil price left at current drilling rates and over 70% of it is in the Permian. End quote. With no new shale plays on the horizon, global opportunities shrinking, the Permium also leads in potential for finding new resource as drillers test additional benches of the region's stacked pay. What do you think about that? I mean, that is to me the justification for Oxy jumping in. What say you, Mark? You're the you're the sort of you're the man on yeah, this. Yeah, I, I I do
1: think the. You know, the the fear of the music stopping without a chair is part of the dynamic here. And so, you know, that this is clearly a um, scale up in the Midland Basin. How much of that is left in scale with any kind of contiguous nature to the acreage? 1,700-plus uh, development locations, I think, um they characterize 1250 of those as development ready at $60 or below which kind of made me raise my eyebrow we're talking about $60 break evens as a threshold now a number of those 750 below i believe 40 or 45 so you you start to break that down what what about the 500 in between that lower bar of break even to $60 wti we're having to you know we're having to look at things that in <clears throat> and the way Oxy characterizes it, this moves to the, to the upper tier of their portfolio. And so if $60 is coming into the conversation as a break-even threshold, then I think that's different than think some of the talk that we've, we've heard recently around other, around other deals. Because the view is the productivity, the cost efficiency, et cetera, um, the economics around a high-graded premium basin, particularly in the Midland Basin, break-evens are generally accepted to be
0: down certainly much lower than 60 in the 40s and the 30s. I mean, my dad was born in the Permian. So, I mean, the the Permian Basin, Midland has been, and the Permian Basin at all, has been this like hilarious, incredibly most important place in the the world, especially for the United States. World War II. But there's also times where Midland's been a piece of shit and no one wanted to be there. Oil... Prices sucked, and everyone's trying to get the hell out of there. What's going to happen over the next few decades in the in the Midland? Because right now we're saying Midland's the most important dirt in the world right now. You've got you know Exxon, you've got Chevron. Everyone's jumping in, not Chevron, but I mean, yeah. Exxon, Oxy's now jumping in. What do you think over there?
2: And I've heard from a good source that Endeavor deal is close to getting inked up. Um, You know, there was a conversation on Collide the other day about this, um, Shad Frazier had wrote a really good post, you know, Shad's over at Endeavor and is talking, what does the future of the industry look like? Because this industry has always, you know, found Mm -hmm. technological advances that unlock new oil, but, you know, here we are, tapping into the source rock, into shale and, really kind of chewing through the best inventory already you know some of the best rock is already in the days behind us and so what does the future of american oil look like and i told him i read this book it's called wildcatters and sitting in my living room and it's written pre shell and it's talking about how oil independence in the united states are some of the most resilient businesses that have ever existed like there's always throughout history there's always like oh There's going to be a roll up. Everyone's going to get rolled up, but it just doesn't, it doesn't happen because there's so many entrepreneurs in the industry that find a little niche to carve out. And it kind of brought me along the lines of thinking as well It's like, if you look at how much oil we recover, I mean, it blows people's minds to know how much oil we leave in the ground. And I have a hard time believing that this industry will be content with how much oil we've left in the ground. And so start putting a lot of resources and energy into, um, R and D on how we go in and, and recover that. And so, you know, I, I think that if you look at Twitter, there's a lot of doom and gloom on peak shale, peak American oil and gas, but also <clears throat> just one thing I know about this industry is that it's resilient as fuck. It's like a bunch of cockroaches. You just Damn, can't, dude. can't kill well, them. And so.
1: he, yeah. And the, and that analogy is better than at, at the trough when we coined the terms somewhat uniquely for E and P and their ability to survive and, reincarnate in chapter 22, chapter 33
0: bankruptcies, you know, that you, you can't kill them it's, yeah. it's, it's, no matter what. I mean, if you're an idiot and, and treat some of our audiences, they don't, just don't know, which I'm one of them. Let, I see a couple oh. things. I see oil prices right now around, what, $70 or so. I see this as a, number one, almost an all cash deal. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, a, if I'm an independent in the Midland, in Permian, am I thinking, shit, dude, I want cash, number one. Secondly, they're paying 50 grand plus per acre. This is skyrocket. This is not $100 oil prices. This is $70, let's say, but the per acre is huge. What, what does that say? And what's, what, if you're an independent right now, are you thinking, shit, it's time for me to sell? Or do you think it's going to go up? paying a premium for near-term cash
1: flow and comes out on a metric that I think is less primary to the acquisition conversation. I think it also speaks to how urgent things have gotten for the, the buyers that are out there. But is why that, is
0: it urgent? What, what is the sense of urgency now?
1: I'll tell you one thing that I know
2: about this industry is it's a bunch of followers. That's what I'm saying is, is there, <laughs> what so, is so urgent right now? And so it's like, Oh, Exxon's making deals. We got. I mean, it always comes
0: in. It, someone created urgency. We're yeah. all feeling it. But why? What? What's? It, the, it's
1: just a muscle memory competitive response, right? <laughs> it's it's
2: more I of a somewhat to somewhat, answer your question. Not, it's more of a psychological driver than it is like <laughs> an
0: actual physical or economic. I driver. think what this is what's driving all of it everyone's scared of nicolas maduro taking <laughs> over guyana and then he's gonna go after midland it's a it's they're just we're worried about we're worried about global did y'all see my tweet
2: that went viral about venezuela dude we're let's go let's move
0: over Some, did y'all see that
2: uh, so december 7th i tweeted venezuela military versus exxon private contractors who you was got was a poll
0: oh i i I like that
2: yeah I did thousand likes 300 Dude, it's the stupidest stuff that...
0: Dude, I am totally like... I, I thought the TAM of that tweet was like 10 people. You know it's going to be the <laughs> private contractors. They've got better equipment. So
2: there's actually some interesting comments. They're like, if this was Exxon from the 90s, pick Exxon from the 90s, but not the defanged ESG. Oh, are they kind uh, of weak now? Exxon, I don't know. I don't put up with Exxon. I don't, I'm not familiar well, with let's, Exxon let's, security. Let's or.
1: not forget that, that China is in the block as well in mm. the form of... us. Uh, CNOC. C-noc so. They've yeah. been there. Yeah. And, I mean have we have we transitioned to Venezuela? We, we're gonna go but well, what we can We're bounce. walking up the run of show backwards. We can bounce. <laughs> we That's what fluid. we do here.
2: We gotta stay fluid in our run of show. That's just more of a suggestion. Dude, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. We're we're we're
0: now in Venezuela. So let's
2: actually, yeah, let's talk about this because I'm not really up to uh, up to speed on the topic, but I did think that it was funny that Venezuela just published a map saying that this is ours guy. And I was like is that, is that the way it works as like, you just like Dips. publish a map <laughs> and like, this is ours but I actually look so I think someone wrote a, a, a twitter thread about this but there's actually a lot more history behind this than just oh Guyana has oil we want it like there's actually been a lot of uh, uh back and forth over the course of here's history, just so. a,
0: a short history October 18th the current administration, the Biden administration, they do a deal with Maduro to keep trying to get more oil in the market. And in exchange for that, and this is October eighteenth. in exchange for that, they're saying like Maduro needs to have like fair elections. So fast forward a few weeks, December third, Maduro claims victory in a national referendum. Saying that he has overwhelming support. Now, supposedly only 12% of the registered voters turned out. He says, he says over 51% turned out. So he's he's saying, no, no, no. Every half the country, and not only did half the country show up and voted for him, by the way, he's claiming that 98% of the voters approved the invasion. <laughs> so the Venezuelans want it. Now, I if I'm in Venezuela, maybe I do want it because things suck because as we're seeing, and by the way, again, thanks David Blackman for this data, but per capita in Venezuela has dropped from $12,600 or so a person in 2011 to 3,400 in 2023.
1: I mean, inflation's running. I saw a statistic on world statistics that Venezuelan inflation tops the world ranking that's not a ranking you want to be on top of, but I think it's running currently about three hundred and eleven percent three
0: hundred and fifty nine percent okay I think it's so it's so it's changed in the last few days I think it's interesting it's that worse.
2: Venezuela wants to annex part of now after this big oil discovery, but you look at like what Venezuela has done historically to
1: their oil industry i mean
2: like well, you have oil reserves and you just can't economically get them out because...
1: This, this territory that's been in dispute goes back to the 1800s Yeah, with the French time. in Guyana. And conveniently, and we'll post a, a map of the area, conveniently, the uh, Venezuelan boundary line encompasses that onshore Esquibo territorial region, but also the territorial waters that
0: basically covers all of the Staybrook block, which is massive. And, which, which I'm like, in the 1800s, they didn't know about the Straybrook block, so.
1: It's producing <laughs> 400 plus thousand barrels a day going quickly next year to I got, I got, 600,000 plus barrels a day. I say, Exxon says
0: that they can get it to a million barrels a day. Yeah.
2: Releasing the map just seems like a very 1800s move. Like. So,
1: so we had the, the luxury of speaking with someone who had spent a lot of time um, both back in the day when things went south in um the late nineties with the emergence of Chavez and basically kicked Exxon out and then you know Chevron's left with a lot of uncertainty over its assets and country, and you basically fired all the mm. the technical and managerial and operating competency within Petavas and replaced it with high-ranking military. Now you've you you you've seen what's happened over the last twenty-five years. This all started ninety-seven, ninety-eight. I think uh, Maduro, or excuse me, Chavez attempted a coup in ninety-seven, was successful in ninety-eight, and then from that point we've seen nothing but a spiral. This latest easing of sanctions is a bit of a glimmer of hope, but. Immediately upon the heels of that, as we saw, Maduro's out laying claim to um, uh, to the territory that includes Staybrook, and also behaving very aggressively as regards the dis- the long running dispute over the disputed territory of Skibo. So, what what's motivating this? It's it's as as you pointed out with some of those statistics on per capita <coughs> GDP. Uh, what's happened with the, we talked about it a few shows ago, the auction ultimately of Citgo, which will leave Venezuela with nothing because those proceeds will be used to satisfy in part their huge and very debt obligations. Mm -hmm. And (coughs) certainly Maduro sees this as an opportunity to be aggressive and reach out and grab some cash flow for himself. Mm -hmm. And I think from a a populist standpoint, the support for that to help the suffering people of Venezuela is probably something that shouldn't really surprise anyone. And so, you're you're you're, you're facing a, a fairly complex set of dynamics too. We mentioned that Cenox in the block, and I think during the period of the most severe sanctions, of Venezuelan. Uh, export, Sinoc has been one stalwart customer, and I think the Chinese would probably step in the middle of this, and if they haven't already, and reminded uh, the Venezuelans and Maduro of that very fact. Chinese have been big buyers of Venezuela. I know,
0: this This has the whole Exports. reading yeah. of, there's big states behind this. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if China wasn't pushing from both sides. Maybe, maybe not, but there's so much oil at stake here. Yeah, you know what's interesting is,
2: I was reading, and it seems Brazil is on Guyana's side. So you have United States, Brazil, which I don't I don't know what Brazil's, you know, political motivation is for picking either Guyana or Venezuela. Um, but yeah, I imagine that it's not just some simple dispute. I'm sure that there's other players that right i mean
0: maduro is more friendly to russia and china than and and we have you know had sanctioned pretty tough sanctions against venezuela so in some ways um you know if venezuela gets any any anything in this dispute it seems like the russians or the chinese will be will come up on top so it's definitely and, and cnook has a position there on the guyana side but this is an interesting this is interesting to see how this plays out and it's definitely going to be political there's a lot of, did
2: y'all see uh, Argentina's new president? Yeah. Election? I
0: think he already cut me. like nine, like, he already cut like nine. Um, ministries. It, ministries. Yeah, he said that. <laughs> he's on, he's on the ball. said, I saw a quote
2: that um, essentially he's promising economic shock treatment to the, to the country. And so just a lot of movement down in South America, um,
0: yeah, know. I wonder what he's doing, what's going to happen with the, the contracts down in Argentina's uh regions.
2: Yeah, I have no idea. I figured there's got to be some implications for that. It seems like a pretty big deal, so I'm sure that we'll be talking about South America for the it's near York on this show. Yeah, it's love in play. It.
0: Should we go down there and do you know some inspections? Dude, absolutely. You know what's funny is.
2: Like back in 2018, this consultant hit me up to help consult on Venezuela, especially around oil and gas technology and Bitcoin mining. And I was like, dog, I'm, and he was talking about the new regime coming in. He's like, if this regime wins, you know, they're all American educated, went to Harvard. He's like, it's an opportunity. He's like, I I want to figure out how we revitalize the oil and gas industry. And back then I was just like, dude, I'm way over my head here. I'm like, you're talking to the wrong, to the wrong guy. It's like, I don't know anything about helping uh,
0: (laughs) third world nations revitalize the oil and gas industry, so. So we've got, we've we've got, we've talked about Midland and the frenzy. We're talking about Venezuela, Guyana, which is all over oil. And, And the last part of that you
1: mentioned, it's going to be political, I guess our next topic moves squarely into the realm of politics Yeah, let,
0: let's go right let's go across the pond to the desert and talk about cop 28 <laughs> what are the remnants mark from cop 28 what can we say about it well it hasn't already been said
1: it kicked off with the iea uh, declaring that this was a moment of truth for the oil and gas industry and in issuing uh, another of a uh, in its series of very pointed reports um pointing fingers at the oil and gas industry. And then coming into the, the final week of COP28 was really the, the, the meat of the negotiations and trying to get to an agreement whereby there would be a conference of the parties language that would uh, set forth a timeline for the phase down or phase out of fossil fuels explicitly that didn't make it to the last draft. And so certain of the higher profile and louder voices at COP28 had some words to say about that today. And what was that? Well, current. three
0: hours ago, I mean, when when Al Gore, who is completely motivated, self-interestedly to kill fossil fuels, his, his tweet is the best, or is it an X? What do you call it now? Is it an X?
2: Elon's still trying to, the other day when he had that just call it a tweet when he said go fuck yourself he also in that same talk said that if anyone could figure out what to call it other than a post he would be appreciative
0: this is al gore's tweet three hours ago cop 28 is now on the verge of complete failure the world desperately needs to phase out fossil fuels as quickly as possible but this obsequious draft reads as if opec dictated it word for word it is even worse than many had feared it is quote, of the petrostates by the petrostates and for the petrostates, end quote. It is deeply offensive to all who have taken this process seriously. You mean all those who are profiting from <laughs> from a fear that was started without uh science. There are twenty four hours left to show whose side the world is on, the side that wants to protect humanity's future by kickstarting the orderly phase out of fossil fuels or the side of the petrostates and the leaders of the oil and gas companies that are fueling the historic climate catastrophe. In order to prevent COP28 from being the most embarrassing and dismal failure in 28 years of international climate negotiations, the final text must include clear language on phasing out fossil fuels. Anything else is a massive step backwards from where the world needs to be to truly address the climate crisis and make sure the 1.5C goal doesn't die in Dubai. Meaning called the North Star? that's the new that's
1: the new characterization of 1.5 it 5. doesn't
0: die in dubai baby <laughs> <laughs> That's the new slogan
2: you know i was talking to uh <clears throat> i was in austin and i was hanging out with this um, neuroscientist and she's super smart and she's over in london and we we're talking about just the bias in science now and how there's this kind of dogma around it of you can't actually speak about facts because funding may dry up if you do that. And we were talking more about medical and yeah. you know, neuroscience research. But then I started talking about it's like, yeah, you know, you see this in climate as well. Just you know, data doesn't lie, but humans do. And the way that you cut up data and present data, and it's very easy to, you know, cr- craft narratives and I think what we've seen over the last two years is that the world is coming to terms with reality on what energy policy actually looks like, and so I don't know what actually came out of COP. What was it twenty eight? COP 28. Yeah, twenty eight. Like we're going exactly. On three it's decades. so fucking irrelevant to anyone <laughs> that actually <laughs> works in energy, in my opinion. Um, you know, I, I just think that people are seeing that that's not actual signal there that. And also just having to cope with the realities of the situation. Well, I can like tell you. I think you, what Al Gore's doing right now is like the, he's coping.
0: According to Bloomberg, um, I know the planet is really worried about climate right now. Because a record 7.5 million people are expected to fly during Christmas, New Year holiday period. Which, according to AAA, who began tracking the date in 2000, this will be, make it the busiest year-end travel season since 2000 since they
2: started tracking i saw a video going viral on twitter yesterday of how they clean snow off the streets in montreal and you have a oh i saw that yeah you have a front loader with the bucket go and it scoops all the snow to the side and then a dump truck comes by with a snow blower and they fill it and like there's like six or seven trucks involved in this thing and sounds I was sounds like, like a lot of diesel it's a lot of diesel the good thing is all the co2 emissions from that diesel are gonna thaw out the planet that way you don't have to
1: scoop snow it's in the first so much place snow. Yeah. i thought i thought dan who tweeted this morning about cop 28 dan pickering maybe that was yesterday Cop 28, get a bunch of people together, argue stren- strenuously over fossil fuel limits slash language to have a quote-unquote successful summit, and then everyone goes back home and ignores what they just agreed to because it isn't practical or economic in the short term. And I replied to that, there is no, there is no long-term in politics unless, <laughs> your right. na- unless your name is Xi or Putin or Maduro. Mm. And what we're seeing and bringing, bringing Argentina back up dictatorships that and the Netherlands in the netherlands where people have a voice at the ballot box and in part have expressed through a referendum on what they're facing in accelerated energy transition and ill advised energy policy is they're going to vote them out and so the you know the impasse continues the other thing that i you know i somewhat chuckle at the headlines which now take pretty liberal license with claiming that this is what the world wants. Well, there are 70,000 people in Dubai. That's not the world. These are the, these are the conference attendees. These are the conference leading voices on both yeah. sides of the debate. This is not speaking for the world that is clearly evidenced by some of these election outcomes. And I think 2024 on this issue for the U.S. is going to be very
0: interesting to watch and monitor as well. Um. Yeah. Well, um, it sounds it seems like the the pendulum swung. Oil is falling. Oil. We talk about COP twenty eight. You know, we broke EV the EV story about we did. We we're the first to talk about it. What well, story? Just the EVs. There's a glut that that sales are slowing down. um yeah. and then all of a sudden, the media weeks, maybe a month later, started covering it. Well, here's some new news, a couple things that are interesting. The, uh, it's gonna get more expensive to buy an EV. So I, this is just sort of self-fulfilling prophecy here, but the $7,500 discount you get no yeah. longer applies. Starting in next year. Tall EVs? EVs that have China made parts, or not US, not made in the USA, will only be able to get a 3,750 credit.
2: Oh, dude, that's so that's a pretty big that's substantial, big news.
0: That's big news.
2: Yeah, because I mean, that seventy five hundred dollar tax credit is super incentivizing for new EV purchases. Cut in half. Cut in half, and probably not
0: applicable to a lot of the cars. Well, so Tesla, Tesla's um, Tesla Model Three will be have to. They don't qualify either. So
2: most EVs, I mean parts not made in China like that's got
0: to. But China has 90% of the. Especially battery share. parts. Battery parts. Yeah. That's right. That's crazy. And Tesla is 56.5% market share as of Q3 of, of this year in the US. I don't ED think market. I
2: personally agree with that approach, to be honest. You know, if you want to get rid of the subsidy, cool. Understand that. But saying any car that uses parts from China, like, I don't think. why? Why would these. I just don't see how that incentivizes manufacturers to say, Oh, we need to get America. Like they're not going to switch their supply chains, especially around batteries to the U S to capture this.
0: Well, then we don't have, I mean, infra- it's going to take years interest. for that infrastructure to, be to even happen. Built. Yeah. As we, we've talked about lithium mining, you know, I mean, all these things need to years and years and years and years before yeah. you're going to be able to do it. And
1: how far are we going to go in the true supply chain, the value chain? Yeah. of producing mining transporting all the way processing down. well the, the thing manufacturing is so, I mean, finishing it's assembling it's how, a, how far a, are we going to go domestically
2: it's a global market everything is a global market i mean we're dependent on other people's supply chains i mean we kind of have to understand that um it's even you know when we look at solar and and wind and these things like i've always said it, i don't think that there is such thing as energy independence i think that You have to think about energy diversity and security and just seems like, I don't know. I don't think that the way to limit the subsidy is by cars that have parts made in China. It just doesn't, I don't think it's realistic. Well, I think uh,
1: let's see how prescription drug relief, price relief would work (laughs) if you said, well, it doesn't apply to pharmaceuticals that have any component that's sourced from China. Yeah. Which is bigger than you think. Yeah. Well, I
0: know I get get my fentanyl from China, so (laughs) it comes from Mexico, but the chemicals are sourced there. Um, I will say this: on a roll. (laughs) Here's an an interesting story that came out of the Washington Post. Wapo is is insane anyway, so take it with a grain of salt. But they have analysis that shows, and this came out this morning, that eight fatal accidents, uh, Tesla accidents. Or due to the autopilot feature being turned on when it should not have been accessible. Now they're claiming that this is one of the reasons why EVs aren't being bought. And I don't think any consumer probably thinks about the fatal accidents using autopilot. But this is an interesting story because people are dying because they're trying to use this autopilot feature. It's not completely baked. And one of the reasons why it's being used like when it's on narrow turns and hills and I guess, Software can't see all of that. Um, So, but but what what do you think?
2: Tell me the story again. You said that these are fatal crashes by people using the autonomous driving feature that don't have access to it. No, no, no.
0: Eight fatal accidents with Teslas that had their autopilot feature turned on when it should not have been accessible. I think that's what I'm saying. So it should not have been accessible. But does that mean like? I think what it, and I I listened to the 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 article uh, the there was actually a, a news article on it. I think it was more about consumers have the ability to override the system. The manual okay. says you shouldn't do it, but they do it. It anyway. makes more sense
2: because when it shouldn't be accessible, I thought they like jailbroke their car or something. Well, well, and that's got access to it even though they don't have paid access. Well, this is
0: it. actually an interesting legal discussion because right now because technology is moving so quickly, the regulators are following industry which says, hey, our, we're telling consumers don't do this. If they do it, it's on them. So it's yeah. really the, the legal liability is falling on the operator and the operators are choosing to use a feature mm-hmm. when maybe it's not yeah. the, 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 the greatest idea. Yeah, I can tell you having used autopilot in my car, I hate it, man. I want, to, I want the control. Really? It does shit that makes me nervous. I'm like, I need control.
2: And which car? The Porsche. And the Porsche? Yeah. Maybe um, nervous. I mean, the only autonomous car I rode in was a um, autonomous lift in Las Vegas. And actually, I enjoyed <clears> it. There was one time, though, There's so they had a driver, and then they had a second driver in the passenger seat. And there's one time a car pulled out taking a left-hand turn in front of us, and the driver had a Hit the brake, and I made some comments. Like, oh no, the car would have caught that, and I was like, I don't think so. No, no. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the car would have caught that. So, um, but I mean, you talk about like, especially like straight highways in Texas. Like, I'd let it run.
0: That's on one auto- thing. Autopilot. For yeah, sure. that's the only mm-hmm. time when you're not turning. I mean, if it's you're-
1: just it's just the number of real time variables. Yeah, that you have to adjust. If to you're that are, going on- that are unique and not. Yeah,
0: I've noticed on in, in not inherently
1: view, predictable
0: statistically. My existing car, which has a lot of has all these auto features, when when you're kind of going on a a, a highway that la- splits, it gets confused. It's like shit. Am I going right or am I going left? I don't know where I'm going, and yeah. you kind of like get real nervous. Yeah, because the car will fight you until it figures it out. I'm you like, know. Yeah, it's you know not what feature I enough.
2: hate is assisted driving. Like Toyota hey, has it, hey, Chevy has it. Cause you'll be going like 70 down the highway and like you want to like cross lanes or something and it like jerks the wheel. Jerky. Back. I know. No. I'm like, what the I'm fuck? I'm like, you're about dude? to flip, yeah, bro. Like- <laughs> I feel like I'm about to flip the cars. So I'd rather have full autonomous and assisted.
0: So driving. what's the so let's just take all this back. What is the show about today, which is interesting? From the producers to the consumers, oil is taking back the conch. EVs are struggling. Cop twenty-eight is in some ways a failure according to the climate, um, uh, the the pure climate folks.
2: This episode's called "Dose of Reality." You've
0: got Midland going big. There's there's we don't know what the if it's irrational exuberance we don't know what it is, but Midland's pumping more acquisitions, paying premium prices. You've got disputes over oil rich territories in in South America. Um, what do what's your, what's your takeaway? Besides with, besides the obvious. Oh, and you've got millions of people traveling by air now again. I would, they're not worried about emissions. I want to get this, places. I would call
2: this episode dose of reality. That's what well, I would name it. That's what Jacob needs to name this episode and drops.
1: I, I, I would call it the intersection between ideology and reality bordering on a collision or a collide. Yeah, and we're, good, starting to see, we're starting something. to see, <laughs> we're starting to see actions related to where people are in their own lives, and what I'm talking about again is how they're voting in energy policy, and getting that right has got to be practical, pragmatic, and considerate of those who don't have it, have the most difficulty accessing it because their hierarchy of want and need starts with basic standard of living, well-being, surviving, thriving, and then moving up the economic ladder. And Right now, the, the scale, the abundance, the availability, the affordability, and the energy density, um, we still haven't come up with a wholesale transition solution where we can flip a switch and make that happen in a short period of time even defined as between now and
0: 2050. Mm. Mm. i'm going to end it with this that's interesting my boy now my boy aubrey k this is his latest tweet i just think he's so funny cq ops guys lining up at sewell ford to place f-250 king ranch (laughs) orders today
2: Aubrey's always good for keeping his finger on the cultural pulse of
0: West Texas, dude. He his are always always have me chuckling, for sure.
1: Speaking of friends and associates and cultural phenomena, phenomenon, Chuck Chuck just t- texted. By the way, the Brits love me. There has never so been so shy. much awkwardness between the U.S. and Brits since the Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> and as i've said before chuck has the highest awkwardness threshold of any human <laughs> being i've ever met so it's good that he's on the front lines yeah that's
0: right
2: i think uh, i also very much enjoy awkward interactions too so you know me and chuck that's probably what we bond on is awkward <laughs> interactions but all right is that is that it for the run of show or do we have that's it that's it i mean that was a lot of news um you know i think that unless you want to talk about sunflower seeds yeah, you know, I had a, so I come in the other day. Come oh, the, shit, dude. Yeah. Yeah. You're confronting me <laughs> on knows, Oh crap, crap man. <laughs> I come in here, like I was already, I can't remember, I was already in a bad it mood. It was in for, this room. Yeah, I was already in a bad mood for some reason. And I come over here because I had a phone call and there's a pile of chewed up sunflower seeds on the floor over there. So I would get the vacuum, I come in here and I vacuum them up. And I wasn't even thinking, I was like, oh, this is, this is where Kirk sits. Kirk has sunflower seeds. Then I walk into the war room and someone had spilled something on the floor from the microwave. So I get on Slack and I'm like, "Hey motherfuckers, if you spill something, you know, pick it up. It's not a daycare." And then <laughs> talking talking to you guys too. <laughs> yeah. And then Chuck sends it to y'all's group text. And uh, anyways, I was just I was in a mood. But I, I just want to remind
0: effort. you, I sit on that side, <laughs> dude. If I did it, I'm sorry. And if I I'm usually great at cleaning because I'm a clean freak. Oh, you are. I've when you're had- CEO of a company, there's so, nothing that you notice more, especially trying to keep some, like your office clean, for example, and you realize no one else cares. Yeah. And that's the, you realize most employees think like employees versus you think like an owner. Yeah. You don't think like an employee. Yeah. You're an owner. You're like, yeah. everything I do. It's like you
2: want to be proud of everything that you do in your space, but it's all right. I forgive you. I told everyone. Uh, At least,
1: least he didn't slowly point to
2: his ear. Y'all, y'all both. <laughs> y'all both get, gave a heartfelt apology, and I let everyone know since they took the they took the ass chewing on y'all's behalf.
1: But mine was more of an alibi.
0: Yeah, no, no, I. <laughs> You definitely said it wasn't you, but I was like, I can't, my
1: solo cup made it to my truck.
0: It's always the person that, that denies first is the winner. And I, you know, yeah. I was last on that one. So hey, Mark just left you me.
2: hanging to dry. So anyways, guys, appreciate y'all being in today for the show. Appreciate everyone listening. If you can, please share the show with a friend. We've been getting a ton of great feedback, ton of great comments. I see people on, over on LinkedIn saying that they're listening every week. Can't tell you guys how much we appreciate that. Um, it means a lot. And so I uh, would appreciate your continued support and sharing the show. We'll catch y'all next week.